Kiora, Tinakoto, Nomai, Hiramai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Join me as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you live in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back and relax. Let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hello everyone, it's so good to be back with you all on the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Honestly, I've missed talking with amazing guests and the whole creation of our episodes. Creating the mini bonus episodes was a really gentle way for me to get back into the whole recording and editing process that I've missed so much. However, it wasn't the meat of my podcast, but with this episode, we're officially back. Prepare to delve into the mysterious realm of demonology as we sit down with my guest, a seasoned demonologist with years of experience in uncovering the secrets of the supernatural from debunking myths to sharing chilling, real-life encounters. We uncover the truth about demons, their classifications, and the methods used to investigate and combat their influence. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, this is an interesting conversation. Are you? Ready to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Let's begin. Dr. Sidney Michael Brewer was born in a small town on the eastern border of the Crown Corp of Canada. He's currently 41 years old. Sidney's trained in many different theological philosophies. He obtained a PhD in demonology in 2023 through the American Institute of Metaphysics under Dr. William Lester, ATL, Georgia. He also trained in the Hemisync Gateway Project CIA training programs for operators in 2022 through to the present date. And he was recruited through levels of secret societies, the real Enlightenment organization Illuminati, not what the public propaganda thinks is the case. Sydney also trained in financial worldwide systems via Sublet Corps to facilitate the financial handover and peaceful transition of the power from the old elites to the new earth 5D awakened via CQV Trust, executed for the protection and advancement of the human species plan via the White Hat program. He was selected to advance the awakening program in 2019. He's also the founder of the Yesden Institute, created this year in 2023, to provide real, unfiltered information to those seeking to exit the old matrix systems, or currently the operating system you know today. My guest, Dr. Sidney Brewer.
thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk to me and my listeners today. I've been really looking forward to our conversation. And actually, you will be my first episode back in the new season. So this is an exciting way to start off. It's so glad to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you. You have a PhD? That's correct. Yeah, I have a PhD in demonology. It started out, it was a long, actually hard road. I went through the whole 3D matrix system itself, and we worked the nine to fives. And I was just getting sick and tired of punching that grind out every day. But I was also doing paranormal investigations at night. I was a general contractor by day and doing paranormal investigations by night. And then that kind of led into the theological side of things and the theological studies. So you go into the theology and then more especially as I was actually scheduled to go in to be an exorcist is what the actual training was for. That was the actual start of the whole demonologist program. And then when I did that, the actual program and I wrote my dissertation, it just led down a whole other rabbit hole. Right. As you can imagine. I can. You found yourself doing this job and you had a paranormal investigation group as well. Yeah, that's how it all started. People were coming to me for advice and I was doing my own as a general contractor. People are calling you up for my house is having weird noises, uh, doors are slamming, drawers are opening and closing. This is happening. That is happening. And if you eliminate the improbable, whatever's left, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's crazy because we couldn't find any problems with the homes, electrical problems, plumbing problems. Uh, we tested everything for EMFs. We were, are the hinges okay? Is this happening? Is this happening? And through default, we were actually recording most of the things. We would set up cameras and then start the actual investigation process. And then that's what led into, we're starting to collect actual evidence about preternatural or supernatural phenomena happening in the home, right? So that's where it all started. That's really interesting. And that leads you into demonology. Can you explain what demonology is and what it entails? So demonology is the study of gods, devils, demons and everything in between. It starts with theology and your specialty goes to demonology. It's like becoming a general practitioner as a physician and then getting a specialty like uh, ear, nose, throat doctor. You know what I mean? Right. A demonologist is just a specialist. So we're the go-between. We're the last line of defense when medical science can't explain what's happening and the church doesn't want to admit there's a spiritual involvement. And when psychologists and psychiatrists and the church have nobody else to turn to, we end up being the middlemen and interjecting into the actual case to find out, okay, is this an actual tangible case of something pre or supernatural, or is this a case of actual mental illness itself? What is the actual dynamics? Try to find out all the details and actually go through the investigation properly so that all actual avenues are exhausted prior to us saying, yes, this is an actual realistic 100% infestation or oppression case. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Why didn't you go into exorcisms as you initially planned to when you did your training and what made you change your mind? Because I found out what it actually was through the training, we have this common misconception, especially in Hollywood with what they present in the movies versus what it actually is. We did, we're working on the precognitive thought that we were the ones bringing in divine power, that this was a whole introduction thing, that it was the intervention of divine power that was removing this entity from the actual subject. And that turned out to not be the case. It's actually done through hypnotherapy. Oh, interesting. That, 
Yeah. So it's just power of suggestion. End of the day, the influences are there. It is a power of suggestion thought. So therefore we started digging in more to why would they use this and everything else that was happening with the client, what were the influential factors, what was going on in the world and everything else. And truthfully, that's what it comes down to. It's the power of belief that convincing the actual patient that they are being helped by helping themselves. So getting them to agree that they are actually being helped to ask for help and ask for that actual divine energy to come in and help them and assist them to get their actual guidance team in place to make this happen. It's them that initiates the actual response and expels the negative or an ion or negative vibration, whatever you want to call it, the demonic entity. Right. That's how they actually get removed from this scenario. It's actually done through the actual free will choice of the actual victim itself. Very interesting. So it boils down to intent. Yeah, intent. It's all about intent. What are some of the common misconceptions about demons and demonology that you've come across? The biggest one I learned myself, the theology behind it is simply the word everybody says that's demonic. I think that is the biggest misconception yeah. today. We get into this all the time. I agree. As soon as something negative happens in their life, they're like, oh, that's demonic in yeah. nature. And I know through the actual studies, I can tell you from the thousands of cases we've done. I can tell you that maybe 1% if that was actually proven to be something of a demonic nature, most of them, if not, I would say close to 80% are just either something between clout chasing or somebody looking for attention or mental illness itself, or because Hollywood puts out a new movie, yeah. all of a sudden Ed and Lorraine Warner back in a film, which praise them because they got me started in this industry much love there, but at the same time, someone watches an exorcist movie and all of a sudden now that we have an explosion of cases around the world. Yeah, so. ab absolutely. I have a Facebook group that has about seven and a half thousand people. It's only a small group, but I started it as a way of giving to the community and I answer spiritual questions and stuff like that. And so often I hear people say, oh, I have this demon or I have this, and I, it's just an angry human spirit. It's not a demon. And everything these days is classified as demonic because that's the catchphrase, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. 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 It's an instant. It's the stereotypical thing to say. We just have to classify it with something so that we can have an understanding of what it actually is. You know right. what I mean? Right. And it's very much in the human nature. Humans like to label and classify things. That's, that's right. What we do. And your experience, what are the different types of demons and how are they classified? That would carry us over into the other conversation okay. because they tie together. It's easy from a theology point of view to be able to say, hey, a certain son of God would be the only true God and this, that, and everything else. But what people forget to realize is that it's all just a training program. It's all just to get one key to the puzzle. And we get into all of these different gods, but they're not all demons. They're just demonized by one specific religion. <laughs> Absolutely. And I assume that you are aware that the word demon actually comes from daemon, which means teacher. Okay, exactly. Yeah. And it's so much taken out of context. We've seen it over and over and over again. Every spirit, every ethereal being, every entity, every ET, it doesn't matter where they're coming from. They all bring something to the table. Mm -hmm. So they all actually have a purpose. 
Now, that being said, some of them come in as a negative influence in your life just to guide that life path marker. That's what happens. It's like if you're getting off course, they're going to throw some shit over here so that you go back the other way. You know what I mean? That's exactly how it gets interjected. Everybody's like, hate this one, love this one, do this, do that. But at the end of the day, we all came to the general conclusion that it's just a balanced equation. And when you see it from a 5D perspective, looking down at the actual chessboard, now you have a comprehension of how the game is actually played and why evil actually exists in the world today. Yeah. And we'll get into that next episode. How do you, as a demonologist, differentiate between mental illness and actual possession? Very difficult to do. It takes a lot of interjection. First, you still have to go with the general practitioners. We would put a full team together. You still have a psychologist, a psychiatrist. You would have a general MD in the room with you. Then you would have the local, whatever their actual indoctrination was. So if their theological beliefs were, say, Christianity or Catholicism in general, that actual representative of that religion would be there as well at verses and everything else. We need to get the whole backstory, where they came from, the whole nine, what the actual traumas were, if they had PTSD. There is just an, an arm low. People think they can just walk into a home and it's like Hollywood. You have it overnight, but it's right. not. It takes months and months and months and months and months of investigations into the property, the home, the family tree, the traumas that were attached. Everything comes into play and into perspective. And then you have to go to the actual etheric side of things and start to look at it from that side. Okay, so what are the influences? What's coming in? What was the astrological charts at play? What was happening at this time? What was happening in the world at this time? What were the influences? There's so many questions that need to be answered. But first and foremost, medical actual mental illness is the first thing that must be eliminated prior to even considering it being an actual supernatural or preternatural event. Right. And obviously that's of tremendous importance because there are, but, but actually having said that, have you found in your experience that many people who are diagnosed with psychiatric illnesses actually have attachments or influences? 110%. I would agree with that assessment wholeheartedly. That's actually one of the pet projects I'm working on right now with a bunch of psychologists and psychiatrists. We know, given what we just went through, especially with the awakening process and everything else, uh, that's part of the actual other topic, <laughs> but we know that people that came through the system early that have DID, dissociative personality disorder, multiple personality, bipolar, or, you know, split personality, anything along those lines where it's an actual personality disorder. All of those cases actually need to go back under review now at this point, because we now know a lot more right now than we did even three years ago. So the cases from 10, 15, 20 years ago, where none of this evidence was actually a play, all of those cases now should be under review again by the next team of people coming through, people that actually understand quantum mechanics, quantum physics, and how the atheric shield works because we know that these influences are actually a play and we know that they may have possibly just went through the awakening and couldn't handle it because there was nobody there to give them any guidance. Right. Totally get that. That's one of the reasons I started the podcast and started my group, because when I came to the realization of my works, there was nobody around and it was an absolutely horrific time. I thought absolutely. I was going crazy, even though I'd had these experiences all my life, I was still the human me had to process it. 
and it's very hard. And when you think you're by yourself, it's even harder because who do you talk to? So it's really important that there are people like you out there who are helping those sort of people. How do you go about investigating and identifying demonic activity? I can talk about the actual investigation side of it when it comes down to we actually have a checklist that we go through. I can't really disclose some of the actual information on that checklist on an actual podcast, specifically because you know how it is. People have access to information. They're going to just supervent the actual system, right? Circumvent. Sorry. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Every specific actual etheric being has an actual test that's used to distinguish what it is. And once we know what that is, that's how we actually get to the entity. That's why the date, the time, the events going on in the home, this is why the investigations can take up to months and months and months to complete because we have to go through a SCAT process, systematic causal analysis technique, which means that we have to identify every possible weakness first, eliminate everything else, and then get it down to a very small pool of possibilities. From there, we can usually identify within a reasonable amount of time, a couple of weeks, what the actual entity is, which we're dealing with. Once we have the identity, it's pretty easy to get rid of it, believe it or not. Yes, absolutely. It's not at all what is portrayed in the movies. Have you ever, in the time that you were working in this area, encountered a situation where you were unable to explain the phenomena you witnessed or experienced? The first one... The one that really shook me was the very first encounter I ever had as a child. I think it was no more than four years old. Laying on a couch in the old days, the living room would be on one side and the kitchen would be on the other with just a partition wall between them. You know what I mean? And that couch would be on the other side of the partition wall so that you could do actually do a, like a full circle from the kitchen to the living room like that, right? Around the right. wall. I'm laying on the couch as a child and, you know, it's the middle of the night and my sister's sleeping in a room and she was snored pretty loud. So I'm just <laughs> laying there and I'm covered up in the blanket and I'm just trying to be all comfortable. All of a sudden I can hear this high pitched wind sound coming through the house. And it's not a sound that I've ever been familiar with, but I could tell you at four years old, I've never actually experienced the level sound, of Sydney. the sound oh, just appeared on your side. The interference, the influence. No, 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 don't talk about that. That's what you're, don't put that out there. <laughs> yes. The first thing was, it was the first time I've ever actually experienced fear, actual, true, raw, 100%. I'm probably going to pee my pants fear. That was literally that first time. The moment I heard the whirlwind, if you could picture the Tasmanian devil, that's what it was. So this thing is about six and a half feet tall, seven feet tall, and it looked like a black tornado vortex and the only thing you could see inside of the black tornado were just two beady red eyes and this thing just came swirling through at my feet through one side from the kitchen into the living room right at the actual arm like the foot of where my feet was on the couch and i looked at this thing and it looked at me and it just says nice to meet you we'll meet again soon and that was it it took off and i have never been that scared in my life and this is four years old and i had never had comprehension of anything at that point or supernatural i never had no experiences that was the first encounter i had with the supernatural and that was a marking which i found out later in life it was just a marking moment as in it's marking its territory i'll see you again later don't worry about it you and i will have a conversation in a few years time <laughs> that was really scary and i guess that set your path for you in a way 
it literally locked it in at that moment because my analytical mind, even though you're still that young, is like, what was that? What just happened? Your parents would say, that's your imagination getting the best of you. It's this and that. I'm like, no, no, no. I know what I saw. <laughs> it's there. It was real. You can't take that away from me. It was there. But did anyone else see it or hear it? No. So did it actually happen? That's the debate now, isn't it? Yeah. I've spoken to a few people on this podcast who have experienced the, the black shadow with the red eyes. It's always the red eyes. Either they're red or yellow or green, but it's red right. ones that yep. seem to scare people the most. We actually know why that is. We found out what that's actually tied to. And the eye color actually has to do with the chakra activation colors. That's what happens there with those entities. <laughs> so that's interesting and fascinating. Yeah. When you get into the actual study. Uh, we know that when we're in our peripheral, we have a higher spectrum of light that's viewable in the peripheral than it is in your actual front, in your actual eye line. Right. We know that going through the awakening now, things have changed. So normally people would say, oh, I seen something move out of the corner of my eye. That's because you actually did, because you actually have a higher light spectrum out of the corner of your eye. The moment you look at it, it's yeah. gone because your light spectrum narrows. Therefore, it did disappear, but it's actually still there. Right. You know? <laughs> That's how that works. So the thing about the, the chakras is what we found out, the eye color directly ties to the actual chakra color. So when people are seeing these uh, shadow people or vortexes that are actually somewhere blacker than black, but it's manifested energy, we know this, but the eye color tells us what it's manifesting for. So in the red, we know that that's the lowest sacral chakra, the actual lowest right. form, that lowest density vibration. That's why I was seeing it at that such a young age. It was my introduction into the actual awakening process at that young age. Oh, that's really interesting. It never occurred to me to question why some had that. So that is very interesting to me. Can you share one exorcism case that you worked on, what the person was experiencing that brought them to your attention? There was one case in particular, that hits very close to home. It was a personal attack on me and my relationships and my family. When I got into this industry, my professor at the time told me, look, make sure this is the right choice for you because once you go down this rabbit hole, there's no going back. You stare at the abyss long enough, they come looking. And they, we were warned that you can't have any relationships. But I didn't really buy into the script at the time. It's, it's a seeing is believing. You need to see it for yourself. Is there actually something out there that can cause this type of actual negative impulse in someone's life? We know from the stories and the training that yes, actual true cases do exist. Yes, these entities do exist. Yes, we know they are multidimensional, but we learned that through all the processes of elimination, they don't come after you. They come after the thing you love. Right. So when they want to attack you personally, it's just like anything else. If you're talking about cartels or any type of thing else, they go after your family and that's how you're held hostage. That's just how they work. It's a lower vibrational system, but they know you may never break, but they know if I hold a gun to your kid's head, you're going to break any time. This is what they do. They go after your family and they start making your family's life miserable. Your wife may lose her job or there might be influences put into their life to they'll force some kind of adulterous activity, or they might get astray or things like that start to happen. And then your business might start to go down. Your bank account suddenly starts missing money or all of these little life stressors start to happen. And that's part of that influence. And that's how they keep picking you apart so that you actually separate from your family. And now they win because they right. got what they wanted. That separation. That's quite insidious actually, isn't it? 
Very much so. I can honestly say one of the scariest ones I've ever worked with was Asma Bayes. Had a run-in with him, and I can tell you there's nothing scarier because you have to look at going to these entities like a serial killer. So if the FBI was tracking a serial killer, they would have to think like a serial yeah. killer. So you have to start thinking like a lower vibrational being, which puts your head in a totally different state of consciousness. You have to think, what would they go after? Why would they do this? Why would they do that? So we created this experiment called the vulnerability experiment, which means that we know for a fact that these things always stick around when people are at their most vulnerable because they think, A, you can't see them and they have no problem exposing that. And then we found out like, hey, so when are people most vulnerable? When they're sleeping, when they're with being intimate with their partners or when they're in the bathroom showering. And then that led to the opening of this actual experiment where I'm like, if my camera has this IR technology and we can use mirrors, which is an old technique of doing scrying mm -hmm. that reflective imagery, I'm like, so let's put a mirror behind us. And we developed this experiment where we could use the phone and the mirrors behind us to try to trap the image. And I'm going to send you a picture of the actual image that we caught. Oh, it was the first time we actually caught a demon in real time, in real footage that's irrefutable, looking over my shoulder in real time. And his name was George, by the way. I just saw that out there. <laughs> People find that funny and hilarious, but it was the actual first time we had got full legitimate footage that was irrefutable, that this entity was there and he exposed himself in full on form, leaning over my shoulder in real time. And it was probably the scariest picture I've ever taken. That will be awesome. I'll put it on this episode's page on the podcast website, which is www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. So anybody can see it. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. That would have been really scary. Did you feel his presence or did you just? Yes, it, it was intense. You could feel the hate and the trauma coming around. The whole house was filled. We had family around and. Everybody was at everybody's throats. So I'm starting to wonder, I was like, okay, so is it just me bringing this home with me all the time? Like, is my work just following me or am I the catalyst for this? And we know that if you're a demonologist or an exorcist in that sense, it's the loneliest job you can ever have because they don't go after you. They go after the thing you love. That's the difference. They don't fight you one-on-one. -on -one. They won't come after you because you have no fear. Right. They go after the thing they love. That's the big kicker. So. You end up spending a lot of time alone. <laughs> That's very difficult. And it's not something that you really want your loved ones to experience, but it's part of the path. That's right. Isn't it? Please explain what are the stages of demonic oppression? Because we hear a lot about the terms oppression, uh, I don't know, influence. Can you explain the stages for us? Okay. So you have the infestation. There's multiple more stages. You do have the influence stage first and the oppression and then the possession. And then you get into the stages of perfect possession, which is something people don't normally hear about. Yeah. That's the big one. That's the actual one that's hidden from Hollywood, the version they don't tell you. And it goes much, much deeper than that from information we will be releasing to the public coming up pretty soon. We show everybody how this all ties together with perfect possession because in this new age and this new system, new matrix, despite the experience, it actually ties very closely into perfect possession and more people right now in this realm of existence are actually under perfect possession than you might think. Actually, and that was a question that was coming up. 
Can you explain a little bit about each of these levels like influence, what happens in the stage of influence, et cetera? So in, in the first stage of influence, it's like this. When your consciousness decides to take on a task, what happens is, in my case, you're scripted into this reality where you say, look, I want to be an exorcist. I want to be a demologist. The source consciousness itself then just says, in order for you to actually make that decision, we have to send you every other possibility first as a strategic plan, the systematic causal analysis technique, so that we can eliminate every process so that you'll never fail, but you will ultimately decide, yes, this is what I want to do. And through that process, higher vibrational beings do not do that. They use teams of lower vibrational beings, your demonic entities, your infinite city spirits, these ones that are actually processed for that information. This is what they want to do. So they're built for that purpose. They come in there and then they start to influence your life, give you a trauma, introduce a trauma. You might have a relationship issue. You'd be having business issues. You might start into drugs or alcoholism and all of these other things. And that's the actual influences. Hey, maybe you should go left instead of going right. right. That owns. Oh, well, if you take this job, we could get you some extra money, but then you take the job and then all of a sudden you lose it. That's just how they work. So they bait you into these processes all the time to see if you're going to bite. That's the influence side of things. And they just basically dangle little influential factors around you, making it the grass may be greener over here. Let's go this way. And you follow it because that's your natural behavior. You're just trying to make your life better. Right. So you're thinking you're making the right choice, but really it's just a bait on a hook. They just keep you going, right? Yeah. So we moved on from the influence side to the actual infestation. Now they follow you into your life because you're following their directions, meaning you're giving up their free will. So you're following what they're telling you to do. They're giving you the guidance and you're following. That's acceptance in every shape and every form. Now, when you open your door and you've accepted to follow their directive, that's considered still an invitation. And now they have an infestation into the home. So when you're bringing that trauma from the actual real world into the home, that's where they actually set a breach. They're like, okay, now this is ours and this is our target. We own this actual entity. We own this human being. He's our target. And now we're here to stay. So anything that happens in that home now belongs to them. That's their opinion. Right. So, okay, so this is my man. If you're in a relationship with me, they're going to make sure that you get out of that relationship. So they're going to make your life absolutely miserable with the straight fact that if they can get you away from me, that's more attention for them. Mm. And they want to help that way. So that's the actual infestation stage. They basically claim ownership over the person and create those influences and the bonds. And the person becomes reliant then because the relationship with the person they're in in the home becomes so distorted. They turn to the entity for compassion and this lying thing is sitting there coaxing them on. I will be your friend. I will give you everything right. you need. All you need to do is just trust me, trust me, just get rid of them. And this just keeps playing over in the subconscious. And we are what we hear. Your subconscious dictates your reality. So if these things from the etheric fields are dictating your subconscious and creating this, you're then thereby creating that reality and it just keeps snowballing from there. Then you get into the possessive stage, meaning the person actually gives up on the reality they're in and is willing to accept the act. They're so beat down, so defeated. They give up on life. They're like, I just can't do this. They throw their hands up. They're like, you know what? Fuck it. You, you want to get with me? Here I am. Come in, come take it over. I, I'm just done. I want out and you can have it. And then bingo, bango. Or in like, that's normally where it ends, especially with the Hollywood versions. Right. So that's, they want to cap it right there. 
we'll get on to perfect provision in a minute because I actually have a question about that. What happens for the yep. person if they're actually possessed? And isn't as common as movies would have you believe it is? It's as common on the influence side. Most people actually make the right choices and the entities themselves are under contract just to make you make a choice. Right. The possessions, the true, true possessions, there's no such thing as an entity actually entering the body, except for what the next question is on the perfect possession side. Right. Other than that, any demonic entity does not actually enter the body. It rides the back or the shoulder or the side, and they are just an attachment to the actual physical being itself as okay. an extension of the etheric fields that are around you, the energetic fields. So they operate because they're in the quantum. So they operate inside of your energetic fields, not inside the actual vessel itself. Totally understand that. Now let's get on to the perfect position. I, I once heard an Art Bell episode, and Art Bell was my hero as far as interviews go. He was so good. He talked to a father, Malachi Martin, and, and I recall the father talking about people he regarded as perfectly possessed. There's people who are very happy to have the entity control them, their lives and their interactions with others. Have you ever in your work come across any such people? And if so, how did you deal with them? That actual question is more close to home than you might think. I ended up being one of those people on that profile. And how you just see my lights is because right. I said that. So there's that confirmation. So here's how it goes. If you don't proceed with your life mission and you go through in the quantum field, you'll go through your basically your own unaliving stage. You're throwing your hands up, your life has gotten bad. And uh, the of case is there, but there's actually a higher mission for this physical body. So this physical body represents an actual target goal inside of the actual matrix system, which means that nothing can actually happen to it. It must proceed forward with their mission at all costs. If the lower vibrational beings done their job and they can manage to break you enough and you are checking out, you want out, the higher dimensional beings step in and they do not need permission to take over. They can actually enter at any time and take the actual asset over and they can stay as long as they want and you won't even know they're there. Right. Every decision you make in a perfect possession is actually perfectly guided, meaning that you feel as if you are making the right choices. But all of a sudden during that perfect possession from a higher dimensional being or higher entities themselves, it's normally for the purposes of completing a mission, meaning the mission is so valuable that they actually risked everything to come in and step in and get involved and do the scenario. It doesn't apply to the lower vibrational, like the regular little demons, familiars, and all these other little entities that we have to deal with. It doesn't apply to them. It has to be probably about the 12th to 14th dimensional space before they can actually pull that off. And that's where they have to sit. They can't do it other than that, because it takes permission until you get to that level and sort of deal. I did go through this during the actual demonology stages of it. When I was actually going in and I was finishing up my PhD, I got so far down the rabbit hole. It just, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I ended up getting lost. Of course, when you start, when you play with these things all day long, they don't forget. Right. They're coming. And if they don't get you, they go get seven more. If they can't win, they get the next level guy up. And if they can't do it, they bring the boss. And if the boss can't do it, they bring the prey. It just keeps going and going and going and going until finally they get you to a point they're going to break you. Right. Because you gave up on the mission. You couldn't complete it because of your actual lower vibrations as it was in the 3D system. So they bring in this higher level entity. So in my case, 
I had multiple ones. First, I had Michael and then I had Set. So what we know about Michael is a cord cutter and we know about Set being chaos, but he's also God's executioner. And when I say that to people, it's a little bit different because they think, oh, you're going to go around killing people. It's not like that. It's God's executioner of the grand plan, meaning that these two entities stepped in to actually proceed forward and bring this actual mission forward and bring the truth forward about how this whole operation works. And that what came into the actual awakenings. That's where all of my main downloads came from, from the etheric field is, oh, we have all this information. Now everything makes sense. So when they get you on the right path and take over the actual asset, when the job is done and they go, now you can continue on, they check out, but they stay very close by just in case you decide you're going to do something stupid again and they need to get you back on track. Right. That's so how that works. They remove whatever was inside of you. Yeah. Gotcha. And we'll get into that in our next conversation a little bit. You talked briefly about your experience with Asmodeus. What happened with him and how did you get rid of him? So at the time, my knowledge on that level of a game player was still very naive. It's not as simple as what people think when you start thinking about the power level of these etheric beings. There was a conversation had to me. We were driving home with my partner at the time. I was in the passenger seat. My, my ears just started ringing. So we're in a conversation. So I'm in the passenger seat and I got this download right now. And I mean, this is just coming after a traumatic event. We're having an argument. It's just, it was not a good time. We were right in the midst of all this exorcism and demonology stuff. Pull into the driveway. I just turned to her and I looked and I said, are you suicidal? And this was the breaking moment with everything happening with us. I looked at her, I said, are you suicidal? She goes, how the f did you know that? Like, how can you possibly know that about what I'm going through inside my own head? So she admits it, and then she starts talking about these influential factors that just hit her. She's like, these thoughts are coming in, these processes of getting these names, this name keeps popping up, this asmosis something. So she couldn't pronounce the name. She's like, I just keep getting this. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And during that conversation, I get my second download of this asmodeus. Uh, says, we're taking her, but we'll make you a deal right now. We're taking this actual character away from your life. She's given up on herself. She is going to commit suicide. That's going to happen. We already got her, but we're going to allow you to save her. How does that sound? You're sitting there in the chair and all of your training kicks in and you're like, here we go. This is the moment they test you with everything in your system. They're testing you to see if you're going to make the choice to save one person over actually saving the actual soul of the entity that you are yourself. Would you right. give your soul up to save another person? That's what they're looking for. Right. So he says to me, here's the deal. You allow me to allow your physical body to contain 5% of what I am, and we will let her live. That was the contract. Right. At the time, I was under the influence going through a lot of different things. We were into the psychedelics and we were starting to do the DMT and the psilocybin. And I thought I had a full grasp and I thought I was smart enough to out negotiate this entity. Meaning that if you're going to make a deal and I consider myself a very logical person, anybody that knows me, I have a plan for a plan for a plan for a plan. No failures around. I can figure it out. I can make myself get out of it. Right. And I looked at the condition she was in and this is how they got me. It's because I didn't see it coming, but they knew this moment was happening. They knew what the choice was going to be. And we were in a very traumatic experience, a very low vibration. I turned to her and she's just 
tears are coming out of her eyes and you can tell that he's on her last leg. She's going to actually make this happen. This is not a good scenario to be in. And at that moment, like any other natural human reaction, given my training, I figured I have a better chance at fighting it than she does because she's already there. She's ready to give up. Right. So I made the deal. I said, I will do it. Let's take it off. Let's go. I, I can handle you. So let's do this. You want to take 5%? I'll give you permission to plan 5%, but you're torture on her ends today as of right now. And with that, no word of a lie, the lady literally stops crying. So you know what? I, I just need to go lie down for a little bit and I'll, I'll feel better. I think I'll be all right. And she gets out of the vehicle, goes into the home. And with that, everything started to brighten up. That ended everything right then and there. I was expecting the clouds to start shattering, lightning to come down, this whole thing. Holy shit, we're targeting because they know what I'm going to do. They know what my life path is. They know the information I'm going to be releasing. They know all these things. So they sent the big dog after me. That's just how it is. They want to stop this information from coming out because it screws up their whole plan. Right. So I have to sit there. I sat there in the car for about an hour and had to decide, what do I do? Because everything was quiet. Everything completely quiet. All silence. You can literally hear a pin drop of almost a mile away. There was dead silence all the way around me. Like, did I make the right choice? Did I just screw up somebody's life path? Are they going to do something now to put an influential factor in her path that just conveniently she gets in a car accident out tomorrow because they let her go today? Is that the actual transcript? And it turned out to be much, much worse than that. Life from there just cascaded downhill. It just turned into just this nightmare of a life and existence and Everything was introduced from the drugs and losing the businesses and losing everything all the way through. They just pulled my whole existence apart down into nothing. And it was left in that stage. It was at that moment that I could actually hear the conversations in the etheric field, because when you're connected to them, you can actually hear them talk about you in real time as you're sitting there. Mostly they would diagnose that as schizophrenia. And they would say, oh, and you're hearing things and everything else, but it's not like that. It's actually a little misconstrued about how they actually presented that. So it's when you're hearing these things, you can hear them having a conversation about how they're actually going to mess up your life that day because they don't think you can hear them. So this is all playing out in real time and everything they would talk about would come out and come out and come out and come out. So I ended up contacting my professor. I'm like, look, I think I'm in a bit of trouble. I, I, this is what happened. This is the deal I made and everything else. He did give me a contact. I can't mention the contact on here, but he did give me a contact of this person locally that can actually deal with these things from other higher practices. Right. This person uh, gave me a little bit of advice. Didn't really work out too well for us. At the end, I threw my hands up. I said, I, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do it without help and guidance. Because my whole principle at the time, when your mind is that far gone and you're into the drugs and you're into this and you're into that, and you're also getting influenced by these negative entities. And these are very powerful beings. They can make your reality shift in a second. They right. can make you think there's a person standing in your room that's not there, that you're having a full conversation with something that's not actually there. They can present images to you. So you can walk into your bedroom and see your partner in bed with another person and see it in real time. Right. Physically. And they go to pull the sheets off and there's nobody there. It's that level of actual misperception in the whole grand scheme. So I was basically guided then into the esoteric practices. I got recruited by different organizations about what was happening. And I started to find out that everything got connected. So we're talking about the Illuminati stages, CIA practices, and all of these things. 
now you're not so much a target, but you're in a selection stage. They're watching everything now for your behavioral actions, how you go forward, because we know this now. I know this now, especially Siemens have made it through the training, is that everything was a selection process and it was there for that reason, but they had to isolate me in order to make this work. Right. That's how that happened. In order to deal with Mr. Asmodeus, we had to actually bring in these very high multidimensional beings to actually introduce this system. But that came with the contract as well. Right. So I was like, there's no out of this. You can't navigate this system on your own. Either way, every side wants a contract in place. And we know this through sole contracts and everything else now that right. that's actually how everything is done. You're under contract for everything. So then it was Michael to cut all the cords with the family, cut all the cords with my friends, cut all the cords. And I went into isolation for three years and training. And then I had Seth coming in. And then Seth was the actual part that stuck with me when it comes to chaos and executing God's plan, which is how we created the Yesen Institute for actually saving humanity through all of this crisis that's going on right now. So that's actually what the whole play was. Asmodeus got canned, taken out, and I'm pretty sure he's probably sitting there today wondering, yeah, I'm going to get another shot at some day, but that's, right. that's how it is. He's in the back corner doing push-ups, getting stronger and stronger and ready to come back. That's just how they work, right? Wow. Yeah. So that really brings us into our next conversation later. So what advice would you give to someone who believes they might be dealing with a demonic presence or experiencing demonic activity apart from angry human spirits? the genuine thing. The first thing I suggest is this, there's the Hollywood version that everybody wants to talk about. You go talk to an exorcist or a demonologist or the clergy, do your homework on what the source is and where that's coming from. That's my biggest suggestion is this, if you're having mental illness and you're suffering from mental trouble, obviously check with your actual psychologist or psychiatrist first. Given the fact that if you find that they're not helping you, there is another option. And that's what the Esden Institute was for. We decided to put this together for people to give you the other avenue. We actually work with psychologists, psychiatrists, and the clergy. We bring the whole team together because it takes an actual village to figure out the problem. If, if any one of us separate and we say, oh, we have the answer and give somebody a pill or fix it with this or fix it with that. That's not the right answer. We need to actually get to the root cause of the problem. We need to figure it all out. Let's work as a team and let's work as an actual combined unit. That's actually how it should be done. And that's why we are trying so hard right now to open up all of those old cases. As painful as that would be, there are people that would say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't open up that can. We should just let it go. That's all right for them to say, but is it all right for the people that are sitting in those institutions suffering right now? Is it fair to them? Right. So my advice is this, if you're suffering from any type of actual spiritual attack coming to you, give me a call, shoot me an email, look me up, go to yesninstitute.com and I can go through the actual program with you to see what actually happened. What are the cases? What are the dynamics involved in your case? How can we get past this? And if I don't have the answer, somebody on my team will. Right. So. That's how we actually work. We work as a community together. That's really awesome. I've got a couple more questions before we go on to the next topic. So are there any specific precautions or rituals that individuals can adopt to protect themselves from a potential demonic encounter? The short answer to that is if you stare into the abyss long mm. enough, it's going to stare back. <laughs> if you're going, I have ran into this one. Don't call it ghost hunting. Big red yeah. flag. 
I have to tell people that all the time. If you're a paranormal investigator, that's fine. If you're calling it ghost hunting, that's a major no-no on the other side. They are human. They are just transmuted energy. So therefore, I don't want to be hunted when I pass. Yeah. Sorry. I used to have a paranormal investigation team and I had very, very strict rules for my group. And a lot of people, when they joined, when they saw the rules, left because I'm very explicit. You treat these spirits like they're humans. You treat them with respect. Even the angry ones, Absolutely. when you come across an angry one, you anger is only secondary to pain. So you acknowledge them. Not acknowledge their pain. Say, I'm sorry that you're hurting so badly. And it usually dissipates Correct. the anger. They normally just want the acknowledgement. Yeah. So what people don't realize is that they're there for the reason. The, the fact that they're there, they already know you're yeah. coming. Now, if you're coming with the intention of saying, I just want to get a rise out of something so I can film something and everything else, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. <laughs> That's how it goes. But I, it drives me absolutely insane when you watch all of the paranormal investigation shows that are on TV. And I'm not going to say all, because that would be very stereotypical. I'm not going to tar them all with the same brush, but we, the most of those shows are filmed for a rise or their stage or this and that, and they're just they walk into a room and all of a sudden the pebble moves and that person that's actually a professional is supposed to be there to perform the investigation is running out the door screaming, bollering. Oh my God, the rock moved. Oh, save me. <laughs> you know, uh, it drives me absolutely insane. I've watched a few documentaries lately with demonologists, even as such, and that's even a bigger pet peeve because I am one. And when I see them getting on with the whole dramatic effect of waving crosses around oh. and be gone, demon, name it. It absolutely drives me insane. If you're falling into that spectrum, that's just good TV, guys. It has nothing to do with the actual flow of energy. It has nothing to do with negative and positive energy, which is all these things actually are. Try not to buy into the Hollywood version. That's my opinion on that. I absolutely agree with you. My paranormal investigation team and I actually were on a television show. We had just completed this investigation of a really really haunted building in Waipagrao, which is a town about 40 minutes away from where I live. And it was a hotel that was built in the 1800s and moved onto the site of Maori European land battles. So it, oh yeah, so it already had entities in it. And then they moved the hotel and farted it on this place. That was a double whammy. And it was... Yeah. That would have been interesting. It was an awesome <laughs> investigation, actually. I got a phone call about a month after we did this investigation with a television show who were doing a series on Mark Twain, actually. Mark Twain visited New Zealand and did uh, a tour when he was a famous author. And he had a paranormal experience at this hotel. And because we had done this investigation, they wanted us to come back and do an investigation with them. It was really eye-opening to me to see what they do behind the scenes. I have first-hand knowledge of how they manipulate things. Stage the things. Yeah. And it was certainly an eye-opening experience for me. But having said that, there's no doubt that that place had a number of entities. Some we were able to help move on. Some didn't want to move. So yeah, that was really an interesting experience. One last question about the theory. How do you maintain your own mental and emotional well-being while working in such a challenging environment and dark field? It's the hardest possible question to answer. That's actually probably the one I struggle with the most, truthfully. 
and I'm going to be completely honest with you. There are many times when even I sit down and try to decompress, you basically have to go somewhere and isolate yourself from the isolated investigation you just did. <laughs> you have to decompress. You have to start getting back grounded. You have to get your diet back up and running. You have to get everything actually fixed inside of your body and bring yourself mentally around. Most of us have a counterpart or the balancing equation. So somebody to bring us back to reality once that actually happens, they know what warning signs to watch for, what the flags are and everything else. And that if we actually get too far gone, then they try to drag us back to this reality. Since we went through a lot of training on the other side of things, the matrix side of things, when we did the actual training at the upper levels, they actually teach us how to actually control the consciousness itself because etheric beings actually teach you how to deal with other etheric beings. It's interesting. Right. So we're able to bring ourselves back. I can tell you though, if you're looking to get into a, a relationship, a partnership, have a family, have anything like that, I can tell you this is the wrong field to be into. If you're thinking that you're going to be in a loving relationship, have a home with a white picket fence and be in this industry, it's next to impossible. It's not impossible, but highly improbable. Right. As a final question on this subject, do you feel that there's an increase in the need for demonologists and exorcisms these days? Or is it merely that people are talking more about this stuff than they used to, or from kids experimenting with different forms of spirit communication, etc.? What do you feel? It's focused energy. That's all it is. The moment Hollywood puts it out there, and then we all you see on social media platforms today is new age, golden age, new age, golden age, new age. And every time these hashtags are used, they're feeding into that algorithm and that energy. And the more we talk about it, the more movies are there. You throw a blockbuster movie up there, the exorcist or whatever, you've got millions of people going to go watch it. Now millions of people have just seen that on the screen and now it's bedded into the subconscious. And that's what they keep thinking about. They brought home, they're having a conversation about what they just watched. Right. They're having a conversation. Oh, remember back in the day when we'd be playing the wheat board? Oh yeah, we should go get one. And then it just escalates from there. Mm. And everybody, it, they tried to dress it up as, oh, it's just something, it's taboo and everything else. People really don't know what they're messing with because the moment you open the door, you're going to wish you never did that. That's just the way it is. And I can tell you from my experience, going through what I went through in the time, I would have said, I never want to experience that again, where I'm sitting now. I'm saying, stay away from it and let the experts do their jobs. In the sense, demonologists, yes, are very much going to be going mainstream. New educational systems are being brought in, and these are bringing more recognized actual metaphysical uh, degrees than ever before. But the church, the old indoctrinations of the church side of it, they don't want to get involved with it anymore. And actual general practitioners, psychologists, psychiatrists, they still don't want to admit that there's actually something there, but with the introduction of quantum technology now and everything else, they have no choice to. So we're still now in this little gray area with everything happening. It's okay. Yeah, we know, but we're never going to admit it. You know that, right? That's okay. We'll deal with it. Just send it our way. And that's where we come in. But with the introduction of a show like evil, when they put evil up for the first time, they have a demonologist, a contractor, and a psychologist all on a team. And that's actually how it should be done because they eliminate every possible scenario first. So you have all of your interviews, you're going through a psychological profile, you're going through the mental history, the family history and everything else. Then you're going through the home to find out if there's any environmental factors. And then you're actually going to deal with the client. And through the process of elimination, 
If you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. That's just right. how it works, right? right? And we can normally get to it because the moment you called somebody up, even at my section, if I have a contact that contacts me, it escalates almost instantaneously because you're already well-known on the other side. Right. It's almost an instant transaction of power. They're like, oh, shit, shit's about to go down. Let's get in there. This is how it works, right? So that client gets basically attacked tenfold of what they were if they never contacted us. That's why you try to do in-person rather than a phone call or internet or anything else, because we know that that's still just in the quantum field. Very interesting. Uh, and then one more question that's just come to mind before we finish this conversation is spiritual attack, the same as possession. No. Spiritual attack itself is a guidance system used from the etheric side. When you're under spiritual attack, you're making the wrong choices to do something that's not in your life path's interest. It's a, just a strict guidance system. You're under spiritual attack. They know that there's an entity, let's just say a human spirit, that's the unfinished business, and we know what's going on with them. The trauma is still there. That equity energy is still there. Everything is still happening there. So they're basically going to use the asset that's already in place, and they're going to get that spirit under contract and say, look, you're going to go now, and you're going to create this influence on that person. When you finish your task, we'll get you out of here. That's normally what they do. Right. So... They will already use the energy fields that are around us that have either the residual or they'll bring it back or they'll tie it something together with consciousness and they'll use that conscious energy that's actually intelligent and say, do you want out of this system? Yes, because most of them are in this little purgatory stage they have their unfinished business. So they'll use that and they'll say, I can get you out. If you want out, all you need to do is go over here and get that person to turn left when we need them to turn left. That's it. These are the spiritual attacks. And if you don't listen and you... That spirit cannot get that to happen. The attack level amps up. So at the next stop sign, you aren't going to turn left or you're going to have an accident. That's just right. how it works. These are the spiritual attacks. They don't step in with the possession until they know they have you specifically under contract. Gotcha. Thank you for that. That's really a good explanation. Sydney, thank you so much for coming on this episode today and sharing with us this really fascinating information about demonology and your work. I'm really looking forward to having you back on another episode to talk about another important subject. That's really a follow-on from all this work, all this groundwork that you did as a demonologist. Would you like to share with my listeners before we go how they can contact you if they desire to? If they need to contact uh, myself specifically, they can head over to yesaninstitute.com. Uh, that's our main site. If they don't have internet access, they can use the phone lines. And other than that, mostly they can contact the local clergies because most of them have access to us at those levels anyways. There's an actual list between the list of exorcists and demonologists of people that are actually, they'll never want to admit it and they'll get the client to leave and never say, oh, we don't know that, we don't deal with it. But then people pick up the phone and they'll be like, hey, guess what? We got a client for you to talk to. They don't tell the client that you exist, but then you have to contact the client. That's just how it works. Right. They want to have plausible deniability. So if you want to contact me directly and have a consultation, then I can explain things or anybody with the Yesen Institute itself. You can actually just get us through yesinstitute.com or call 236-905-BYI. And that's how you would get me. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Sydney. And I'm really looking forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. 100%. Thanks for having me.
I hope you all found this conversation as interesting as I most certainly did. And I'm very grateful to Sydney for his sense of humour about the whole re-recording thing. I know I certainly learned some interesting facts about how a demonologist works and our understanding of the unseen has expanded, shedding light on the mysteries that often send shivers down our spines. Remember, the unseen is closer than we think and exploring it with open minds can lead to remarkable insights. So stay curious and stay tuned for more captivating stories and enigmatic encounters on our Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Mary Ann. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and share it with friends. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming shows. Also, follow us on the social media platforms Check out our Facebook page, WT Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10 TikTok under walking underscored the underscored Shadowlands. Also, we have a YouTube channel under Walking the Shadowlands as well. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms. Just look for Walking the Shadowlands and the Little Kiwi Bird. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words. Open Walking the Shadowlands and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you don't have a smartphone, don't worry. You can listen to the episodes from the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Ka kite.